Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our weekly encounter lesson. We're so glad to have you join us this week. This brand we new are, week. This brand <laughs> We are on lesson number eight. This is for April 25th. Um, before we get going, our lovely co-host here today, um, Chris is our author this week. Help everybody. Hi, Chris. Howdy ho. <laughs> and Logan. Give us some information about you and where we can follow you. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I started out wanting to do one podcast, and now I'm doing three. So <laughs> you, can, you can find me here at this podcast. You can also find me at the Monday Morning Megaphone, where I drop a new episode every Monday. Um, the latest episode, as we record this, is with my friend Drew Brent. I stopped into his office, and we talked a little bit about his career in media and how God has been faithful to him and his wife. Um, through some various things that has, that uh, they've gone through. So that was a good conversation to have. And you can also find me um, at Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds with my friend and fellow pastor, Nathan um, uh, Wilcutt. I almost said Wheeler, and I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Wheeler would probably be offended at that. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't do a podcast with that loser. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but me and my buddy Nathan Wilcott, we do uh, culty crimes and criminal minds. And we just did an episode, again, as we record this, about um, a free will Baptist pastor in Oklahoma who was shot and killed. And it turns out his wife was behind it. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah, so go and listen to that episode. <laughs> awesome. And I am Rebecca Zardi, and you can find me on YouTube. Last name is Z-A-H-R-T-E, and I do Mondays and Fridays. Welcome back to my porch, a bi-weekly devotional. Also, we'd like to share with you today uh, from Nathan Wheeler and the Discipleship Ministry team. Um, Nathan is the Young Adults and Youth Coordinator. Um, they're doing a new curriculum called... Uh, youth with Youth Works it says COVID-19 has impacted our world in unprecedented ways, and our churches have been responding like never before to the needs around them. But COVID has also made it incredibly difficult to mobilize teenagers to serve. With that in mind, the discipleship ministry team has teamed up with Youth Works to equip churches with what they need to mobilize their youth ministries to serve in their own communities and on mission trips this summer. For more information and to join in on this endeavor, you can contact Nathan Wheeler at nwheeler at cumberland.org. All right, as we dive into our lesson, our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 39, and let's begin with our prayer for illumination. Almighty God, with scripture and water, you claim people as your own. Claim us with water and the word so that we may rejoice in the life given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the one whose spirit lives in us, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm. That'll make Chris, a bad doubt. That's, there you go. Our memory verse for this week is Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 31. And it says, so Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Chris, you begin our lesson this week with a beautiful discussion question. And this is going to be our highlighted discussion question for this week. It says, how do you define evangelism? Whose responsibility is evangelism? When was the last time you personally, actively, and one-on-one -on -one shared Christ with someone? So what do you say, Chris? Where are you going with that? So just to point out the fact that we don't do evangelism very well or the results of our evangelism have not been um, stellar. And so there's two different things that go on there. We, we do not have control over the fruits of our evangelism. We do, however, have control over whether we are trying to do it or not. Right. Mm. And so, mm, yeah. Um, I think there's been enough study done that I don't want to get into all of them, but just type in evangelism stats in America. And it turns out that we just don't do it often. If you were to ask any church member, 
in your church? Is evangelism important? They'd say, absolutely. But then if you ask them when's the last time you actively or, per, you know, personally yourself tried to evangelize someone, even to witness to somebody, uh, that number falls very sharply, right? And so it's just one of those things to where we know it's important, but we excuse ourselves because either we don't have the gift to do it or we don't feel comfortable doing it or we don't want to offend somebody by trying to do it or so on and so forth. Um, so that is the introduction. And so far as the question, how do I define evangelism? I think me personally, more so than anything, evangelism and witnessing maybe get caught up together and they don't need to because I think there is a difference in evangelism and witnessing. I think it's probably the responsibility of every single human being that claims Christ to witness just to say, God has saved my soul. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, these kinds of things. And that is a form of evangelism, I guess, but evangelism kind of to be narrowly defined would be the, the preaching of the gospel for the purpose of, of conversion. All right. Um, and I do think there's a little difference. I've said in previous Bible studies that I've written, John chapter four, woman at the well, she goes into the city after talking with Jesus and says, hey, look, here's the Messiah. He, could this guy be the Messiah? He told me everything I'd done. Then those folks went to Jesus, talked to Jesus. And then the scripture text says, we don't believe because of your testimony, but because of what Jesus did. To me, that's witnessing. And then you have something like Paul does either on Mars Hill or before King Agrippa, especially the conversation with King Agrippa where he stops Paul and says, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, you and everybody else, big boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Uh, and so Paul used a confrontative kind of reasoning argument as to why Jesus is. And you can see a difference in those two. And, uh, and so I think every single Christian is certainly a woman at the well. Look what God's done for me. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit can use that to draw people to Christ. Uh, and then there are people who are gifted like Paul, who can reason and say, yeah, yeah, my purpose is to try to convince you and persuade you. And so anyway, done, tag, somebody else is it. <laughs> I was thinking of, um, <clears throat> as you were talking about Paul before King Agrippa, I was thinking about, you know, every time I've, I've read that story or heard that story, it's been in the context of, you know, growing up Pentecostal, being in the church and I remember clearly hearing my grandpa preach that text and hearing it from the old King James, almost thou persuadest Wait me to be a Christian. And Paul responds by saying, I, I would that thou would, that would almost and altogether be yeah. a Christian. And, and so I've heard, I've heard that sermon preached of, of almost and altogether. And so I think that's interesting, but I like the way you define evangelism as preaching for the goal of conversion. Um, I like the way that you made a differentiation between evangelism and witnessing, because I think I think you're right. It is the duty of every believer to say this is what Jesus has done for me. And I think he can do this for you, too. And but I don't think every believer is equipped to. I don't think every believer is equipped to handle a situation where someone says, I, I want to become a believer. How do I do that? Because um, I think some people like their their natural instinct, just because we live in an evangelifish culture, is to say, "Well, uh, pray this prayer and sign this back of the Gideon New Testament, and you're saved. That's good." Well, you know, that's a good that's a good starting place. I think it can be a good starting place, but that's not the entirety of what it is. Yeah, uh, but I praise God for people who can do that. Like I, I've told people, I'm more of a witness. I can evangelize, and I have some most of the time unknowingly and not on purpose. <laughs> but <laughs> but but it but it happens. But witnessing, I'm pretty strong about. All right. What about you, Becky? I, I would agree. I I would say I'm a better witness than I am an evangelist. You know, telling people about the amazing things that Jesus has done for me, I will share that all day long. Uh, but evangelizing, I'm, I'm really glad, just like Logan said, I'm really glad that you shared that there's a difference between the two because I, I am not, um, that is not probably one of my strong suits is being an evangelist. Yeah. 
And I don't want to say that it's completely void because through witness, Jesus Christ draws humanity to himself. Like it is a, it, it is a part of the evangelism process and, and an important one. So I, I also don't want to like degrade witnessing and say that that's not important either. I mean, they're both important, but there is a different technique style gifting. Um, anyway, that's what I got. Yep. Hang on. I'm sorry. My name sirens are going off. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, it is that time of for, day. For I'm those of you hearing this and, and you heard the siren on my end and you heard the siren on Becky's end, and you think, <laughs> oh man, they're in the tornado. No, it's just Wednesday at noon. It's just Wednesday. It's just Wednesday. You're good. Yeah. And here it comes back around again. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. So we've discovered the difference between witnessing and evangelizing. How about exploring the scripture? Where are you going at with that one? So again, this is a continuation really of Luke's writing, right? So Luke is often concerned about the Gentile in both the gospel and in Acts. And so um, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, before Jesus ascends, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I've written that this verse is like a thesis statement. So it starts in Acts chapter 2. Uh, all the Jewish folks are together. And then it, you can see in each successive chapter that the, the gospel is spreading from Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. And then here is the transition to where this Ethiopian wasn't uh, Jewish, ethnically or religiously. Uh, the um, eunuch was an Ethiopian, and that was meant to just say not from what we say modern-day Ethiopia. This person was culturally different than the Jews. This mm -hmm. person had a completely total different skin tone. This person didn't speak Hebrew uh, at all, didn't follow Jewish customs. So this, was the, this is where you bridge from Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so um, that's why one reason why this passage is so important. But the other one is, is that it also shows as early as, you know, right when Jesus rose, the purpose of the gospel was to go to all nations, all tribes, all cultures, all genders, all everything. Um, it's an, and so there, there I am. There's your historical and contextual setting. I think it's really well, interesting that you pointed out in here that the Ethiopian was used to refer to people with, with black skin, not necessarily from the nation, but yeah, not only was he barred from oh, yeah, I forgot about that. becoming yeah. a, being able to be in the religious, um, in the temple, but because he was a eunuch as well. Yeah, that he yeah I should have said that. So like, I think I bring it up. Is it, do I have it in here with the Leviticus passage? Um, like there was a double, there's a double hit on the Ethiopian eunuch. Number one, he was a Gentile. And number two, he had been castrated. And these are, you know, like when you go to uh, Jerusalem as a Gentile, you can get to the court of the Gentiles. Like this person is not even supposed to be there because in Leviticus, there's an outcast, those who have been castrated or whatnot don't appear before the temple at all. And so he's he's an outcast. Even if he wanted to be a participant in the religion, he can't be. Um, and I think I get that maybe. Um, I think more so in the next section, next section. you really yeah. kind of get deeper into that. Well, here you I go. Know. I've got it here, that bottom, bottom uh, paragraph of 51. Here we have a person who desired to know God, traveled to Jerusalem to worship, but was excluded from the religious community by skin color, his nationality, and physical damage. Right? So, like, he, yeah. he just wouldn't be in good shape. Right. Which is fascinating that he wouldn't have been able to participate, because obviously he was literate, um, you know, and a high-ranking officer with, within, um, or a high-ranking government official, um, but still, just because of his, his nationality and his skin color, and because he was a eunuch, he was not allowed to participate in something that he obviously 
really wanted to participate in. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have traveled to Jerusalem, right? Yeah, well that, okay, so that, that shows the danger when your religion becomes cultural. Like when the cultural part of your religion is more important than the religion, then you're gonna have those, you're gonna have those laws, right? Mm -hmm. And you're gonna have those conflicts. So the more the church is about being progressive or being conservative, it's going to be less and less inviting to the real, what you're really supposed to be about. I I would agree with that. And I would also like to point out that because of their culture, because of how they work, they did not easily go out into the ends of of the earth. Um, So like, if you pay attention closely, you'll notice that Acts 8.1 is a reflection of Acts 1.8. Acts 1-8, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. Well, in Acts 8-1, it says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Yeah, so and it was through persecution. Yeah. Right. It was through persecution, which is what our last lesson was about. Right. And so one of the one of the positive things is that God can use persecution to his purposes. Mm-hmm. God's purpose is that this message would go out across the ends of the earth. And if the people aren't going to naturally go out to the ends of the earth in obedience, God will allow persecution to come to them so that they will be scattered to the ends of the earth and take that message with them. Mm-hmm. Never thought about that. Good. Uh, good thought. Yeah, it kind of forced them into evangelism, whether they wanted to or not. Right. You know, and I guess that kind of mirrors what happened in the Old Testament, too. Right. When they're dispersed to like Babylonian or, you know, empire, when they're taken uh, captive by the Assyrians. Right. Um, See, that's that's a new way to preach exile, too, mm -hmm, Uh, because, you know, the, the message has always been has always been that that. God will be a light to the Gentiles. Light to the nations. That his, his people will be a light to the Gentiles. And of course, you know, they're not going to naturally be a light to the Gentiles. So how, how are you going to get that? Well, mm-hmm. exile. Exile, they go into Babylon. They go into all these other places. And the, what do they do there? Well, they're a light to the Gentiles because Jeremiah, there's that passage in, I forgot what chapter is in Jeremiah, but there's that text. Where 31, says, 33, 36, huh? 30. Yeah, one, yeah, it's one of those, but he says that it's your responsibility to to contribute to the peace of the society in which you are held captive. Yep. Pray for the city in which you exist, and you're supposed to, like, you know, build gardens and do all these things, and wherever you go, the place you are should be lifted up. Right. Yep. Which says a lot about, I mean, just thinking about our context and our culture today, that says a lot about us today and in, in as far as evangelism and being the light to the community here, um, you know, that that's what we're supposed to do while we live our life. I think, um, Logan, you may have brought up this book before, but it's just, it's right at the top of my mind, the um, a Theology of Ordinary uh, yep. by Julie, what's Julie's last name? Can't, can't Canless. Canless. Julie uh, Canless. You know, that's another great book, and we'll put that back in the resource section for this week. Um, but it's just it's important that to understand that part of our evangelism and witnessing, I guess, to an extent too, is is in our ordinary everyday life. It's in going to the office, it's going to the grocery store, it's um, you know, stopping and pumping gas. It's it's you live that part of your life. And if, and sometimes we're persecuted to the point where, or at least in the old Testament, they're persecuted and in the new Testament, I guess, as well, that, um, you know, if you're not sharing the word in your ordinary life and God's going to persecute you and spread you around, make you <laughs> do a little evangelism, you know? Right. How about yeah, digging what, deeper? Oh, Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I think what persecution and, and going to the ends of the earth and, and being scattered also does is, I mean, like you collectively the body of christ is a light to the nations individually jesus says let your little light shine right and so by the way you live amongst the world shows that you're a refugee like so one of the things i noticed when i was um uh manager at the restaurants if i could tell two i call them two different kinds of christians this is before i was a christian um and after you had these christians that just worked 
And like they did a good job simply because it was what they did. Like they wanted to be a certain person and type of person. So they worked hard. And then they had the Christians that were like, ooh, I've got to do that. <laughs> be like, you're not letting your little light shine, <laughs> right? And so being, being scattered in the world, working wherever God has called you to work, you know, being part of clubs or whatever, you have the opportunity to be a light to the nations. And that's part of witnessing your conduct and thoughts and speech and all that jazz are part of, of witnessing. Yeah, absolutely. So. Anything else on that section before we get into digging deeper? Let's dig. Let's dig. <laughs> so I did I get a little bit deeper into here. So again, imagine that uh, this Ethiopian eunuch has made this long journey to come during this festival. And like Deuteronomy chapter 23, one would say that the eunuch would not even be allowed to enter the court of the Gentiles. Right. Like he so this person is doing this this travel just to be. And he knew it, I'm sure. I mean, like, he had to know the. if he was interested in the religion, he probably already knew that there was going to be some restrictions placed on him. But anyway, he goes, and then he can't get in the temple. Um, and then um, on his way back out, you know, he's reading from this scroll from Isaiah, um, and it's from Isaiah 53, 7. Um, so I just want to read. I'm going to read from 52 from page 52, the second full paragraph, well, third full paragraph. And, and anyway, it says, when Philip caught up with the chariot, he heard the man reading from Isaiah 53, uh, seven through eight. Surely the eunuch understood the pain and humiliation of being cut off from the people of God, just as the suffering servant, servant whom Isaiah described. But when Philip asked if he understood what, was, what he was reading, the eunuch said he needed guidance. The Ethiopian also asked an astute question. Is this prophet speaking of himself or someone else? And from this question in this text that Philip began to witness about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Now I'm just going to read the next sentence there. I imagine that after Philip told him about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he ended his presentation of the good news with the passage that would be further down the same scroll from Isaiah that says, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And that's from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3 through 5. Um, and I think that's a beautiful story. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it... And um, I don't want to go too far into it, but basically it shows that God is always orchestrating times for us to act in obedience, to share and witness about Jesus Christ uh, to people. Like, if I was a eunuch, what better part of Isaiah to read, right, than that one right there? Like. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to, I had one evangelism moment to where like I got, I don't know how it was, but somebody was mistreating somebody else. And it was like literally the, he who was without sin cast the first stone moment. And it's almost like, well, somebody set that up. <laughs> right. Anyway, <laughs> but that's how I felt, but that's an amazing passage. Really. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. It's moving and, Every time I read this passage, I just think about the faith that this eunuch had to have. Yeah, right. To travel, you know, I mean, it's not like today where we jump in our car and five minutes, you know, later we're wherever we need to be to travel all that distance. And as a high ranking government official, I mean, there's an entourage that probably went along with him as well. I mean, so to travel all that way to get to the temple, to not even be able to enter the temple to worship the God that he believed in. I mean, what beautiful picture of faith that is. You know, yeah. I, I was reminded of 
a couple years ago, a friend of mine was doing a revival and it was like, I don't know, like a four hour drive, right. To get to where they were doing this revival. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to drive that far, you know, cause I was just going to drive down for the revival and then turn around and come home. It wasn't like I was staying down there. It was just that one night that he was preaching. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to go that far. And God really like smacked me upside the head. And he's like, how many people drive that far to watch a baseball game, a football game, a concert? He said, and you can't drive that far to hear my word preached. And I was like, fine, I'll go. (laughs) You know, and I was truly blessed by it. I mean, it was a beautiful message, really good conversation afterwards and fellowship time with the people that were there. Um, you know, and I was really blessed by, I mean, I didn't get home till like two o'clock in the morning, but you know, does it matter? Does it matter that, that I didn't get home till two o'clock? I heard the word preach, um, you know, and I was reminded of that story when I was reading this, like, how far are you willing to go to learn about Jesus or how far are you willing to go to, to hear the word preach, not just um, you know, cause so, so many times we'll do things according to our comfort level and what, uh, what we're just comfortable with and not breaking outside the box and to think about this eunuch and how far he would have traveled yeah, and not even be able to get into the temple, you know, but still because of his faith. Yeah. Beautiful story. Eunuch's impressive. Um, one other thing before we move on. You ever notice that Deuteronomy 23, 1 isn't exactly a cross-stitch verse, or you never see that one on coffee cups? Or? No, 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 it's not. Uh, I don't. I didn't put it in here, right, word for word, but I do think it has something to do with crushed stones. Is that the... Yeah, here's the exact verse. Okay. <laughs> Leave it to Logan. In uh, Deuteronomy 23, 1, it says, No man whose testicles have been crushed or whose penis has been cut off may enter the lord's assembly right and you think that leviticus covered everything but no (laughs) deuteronomy can get more specific in life um yeah Yeah, i'm gonna gonna have that put on a t-shirt now logan and send it please please do (laughs) gonna crochet that okay so you can um you in the bible app like in the in the uh the U version bible app you can make graphics of verses that you're reading yes after we get done with this i'm going to make a graphic of that verse and don't tweet it no i'm going to no don't (laughs) don't don't um no don't (laughs) oh goodness so on the one hand it shows there's still in, in at least in deuteronomy and when when they're becoming the holy people everything is symbol symbolic right and so that's that's kind of where that comes from i did want to bring up one more thing that i that i missed the most amazing part of this passage wasn't necessarily that god just put everybody in at the right place at the right time the most important part of this passage or the most or like i've i've said here the greatest miracle of the passage is that after receiving the gospel, he says, well, can't, can't I be baptized? And, and Philip mm-hmm. says, well, yeah, why not? And so like, unlike any other social group, this person would no longer, wouldn't fit in. Like at the best he could have hoped to be was a God fearer in the Jewish mm-hmm. religion, but that was taken away from him. In, Christ, in the Christian faith, not only is he a God fearer, he's a God lover and he's a child of God, right. just the way that he is. And that's the miracle of, of the Christian faith is that it expands mm-hmm. off of these natural barriers to say, no, you're welcome. Yeah. yeah. And that is a beautiful thing. And I, I love how you ended that section because it says, scripture says he went away rejoicing. Right. And, and right. We should right. all be, you know, every time a sinner comes home, just like we've talked about in several lessons back, uh, you know, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, there should be rejoicing in the fact that a lost one has come home, um, that this, this previously excluded is now a child of God. What yeah. would find to celebrate and rejoice? Yeah, as imperfect as, like, 
so the Deuteronomy 23 verse is meant to say this is as an imperfect of a man that you could be, basically, is what Deuteronomy. And then Philip says, but yeah, you can be baptized and you can be part of the family of God, as imperfect as you may be, because mm -hmm. God, God sees you as his child. That's amazing. Beautiful. Well, when we've been broken down by the world, when we've been broken down by our sin, when we've been broken down by everything that we've experienced in life, God sees us through the lens of his son as whole and complete. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 All right. Anything else that we want to dig deep into before we jump to the next section? I've dug as deep as I'm digging. Okay. Very good. All right. Learning from the scripture. What do we got? Um. I will say, I'll just read this very first. I mean, if so if you're ever doing a Bible study, friends, and you don't know what to do, just type in quotes by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Go find something. <laughs> anyway. I'm telling you, man, we need to form a council and have Mere Christianity added as the 67th book of the canon. Pretty much de facto is. Every sermon that every preacher preaches has it in there. Um, the church exists, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, the church exists for nothing else but to draw persons into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Ouch. Right. And I think he's right. Um, so the, the context of this is Philip was having a pretty good ministry uh, in, among the Samaritans. Like before God said, hey, go to this desert. He's rocking and rolling, you know, he's like uh, Rick Warren, you know, he's. And so if you judge your ministry on those things, like just staying where you're comfortable and building up those and all that just, uh, but there's still more folks. Right. And so I think that's what we see in Philip. God interrupts him from his success and says, now go to the desert. And the success of Philip isn't that what he did in Samaria as much as it was that he was faithful to God and going to the desert, right? And, and it was for the sake of this evangelism, this opportunity to spread the word of God. Um, let's see. I talk about the uh, Great Commission in there, but I'll, I'll stop with that and just say that's what we learn from the scripture is that our call is to be faithful in witnessing of the gospel. That's really the call of a church and to create saints, not just the building up of ourselves in pride or, you know, self focus. I mean, it is to be outward focused. Well, and I think, and I think one thing is we don't really know how to make disciples. Like we, whenever we quote the great commission, we always put the emphasis on the go yeah. But the emphasis doesn't belong on the go, because even as you read it in the Greek, it doesn't mean go. It means as you're going, so as you're going about your life. And so the emphasis really is on make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And we leave that part out. We're, we're good at reaching out to people. We're good at getting them into the church put their name on the roll but we suck at teaching them to obey that everything that christ has commanded mm -hmm. um, because we suck at doing everything that christ has commanded i would and i would so, challenge you in this one thing i don't think we're very good at getting people in the church well <laughs> okay well that, yeah that's that's true too but you know we really we really every church needs to have something in place that allows you to to help form people right because yeah. putting getting someone to pray the sinner's prayer put their name on the roll and dunk them in water isn't good enough if there's no transformation taking place right. so you know that's i think that's really important and we forget that yeah um, and, and sunday school yeah sunday school is a good place for that to happen because I feel like what happens in a lot of churches is that they'll get their Sunday school curriculum. They'll, and they'll read through it and they'll try to get through the lesson because it's what we do. It's what we've always done for years. And we'll just read through this, get through it. And then next week we'll do the same thing over and over again. But let me tell you something, you're not going to get the, the most profound insights you're going to get 
are not going to be from the lessons. I hope it's from, I hope you get some profound insights from the lessons because me and Chris and yes, even Becky do a good job. <laughs> Thanks for including me there. <laughs> I just, I wanted to see your reaction. You say that. <laughs> no, we, you know, we all, we do a good job. Dr. Qualls is going to do a great job. And, you know, I hope you get something out of these lessons, but the most profound things you're going to get that transform your life and shape your thinking are going to be from the discussions that you have with yes. the people in your church. Yes. And I think that's why fellowship time is so important because it's, it's, it is that witnessing to each other during that fellowship time about the amazing things that God's doing in their life. And that's, that in itself is transformative. I mean, I realize our emphasis here is more on evangelizing, um, which this is also important. But part of that, I think, to build yourself up to evangelism is to witness, to learn how to witness. Because so many people don't witness. And the fact that, again, going back to, I think, the very beginning of the discussion, that sometimes we're afraid that we're going to offend somebody, that we really believe like something great happened in our life because God has blessed us and God's good and God's faithful, but we don't always share that. We're just like, Oh, this awesome thing happened. And people are like, Oh, that's great. You know, but in the back of your mind, you're going because God's amazing and he's so good and he's faithful and look what he's done for us. Um, but witnessing opens up the door to evangelizing. So, so let me I, go ahead, Nathan or Logan. I, I, I picked on Becky earlier, but I have to share something that's that's relevant to this. Um, Becky, you wrote the first few lessons in the quarter, and uh, before we had to move into the fellowship hall because we got another skunk. Um, this only had, happens at a church in Arkansas. I okay. know, right? <laughs> we had we had men's and women's classes. The men would meet in the sanctuary, women would meet in the fellowship hall, and there are one of those lessons that you wrote. I don't remember which one it was, but like. The men, we, you know, we had an all right Sunday school class. We discussed a little bit, but it was, you know, pretty run of the mill. And then like the, like we noticed that the women were just taking a while to get back into the sanctuary. And then when they did, like people come out, come into the sanctuary, they're like crying and stuff because of all the conversations they had because of your lesson. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. I love that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so I like people cry just yeah right yeah hmm. i like to make people happy but whatever both yeah. of y'all are mean to people yeah yeah um, my husband told me i'm sick but if i don't make people cry by the time i'm done preaching i had done good right so okay so think about it this way the way y'all were talking and thinking so let's say witnessing and evangelism are you know like uh, c.s lewis says um not just it like exist to draw people into Christ. So if, if our goal is to evangelize or witness, what are some of the things that get in the way of you doing that? Number one, it could be time, right? It could be like, I don't have time to do it. Number two, it could be, I don't feel like I'm capable or I'm competent enough, right? It could be that you might think that it's completely up to you, right? Like if somebody's going to be saved, it's, but anyway, what I'm trying to say is in order to be an evangelist or to witness faithfully, it means that you have been discipling, being discipled by your church. Because if you say you don't have enough time, then obviously you haven't been a disciple to know what is most, what is most important in your life. Like if, if evangelism witnessing is the mission that we have, then as Christians, we then develop our life around that goal. If you don't feel like you're competent enough to witness or evangelize, that's because you haven't studied enough and you haven't been taught everything that Christ has been, has commanded us. Right. And then if you feel like that, maybe uh, you're just not going to be good at it because you're not good enough at evangelism. It means you forgot the power of the Holy spirit that works within you. And so there's still some deficiency in discipling there. And so I don't think it hurts us to say that evangelism is the number one goal, because if it works, it's because it's been done by people who have been discipled, right? Um, and, and have become to somewhat of maturity in faith. So that's, I think, important. Like, like a healthy church evangelizes. 
yes. because it's healthy, <laughs> right? Yes. A healthy right. church brings in new people because it's healthy and it's been right. cycled. And I think that's right. our, that should kind of be a goal. And it, I guess it's a cycle, you know? Yeah. But so then that should make us look at our churches, our congregation, whatever, whatever context that you're in, whether you're a teacher, preacher, whoever you are that's listening to this, to look at your church and understand, are you evangelizing? And if you're not, what part of that healthy makeup are you missing? Are you missing the discipleship making? Are you missing the the idea that our lives should be centered around Christ? Therefore, we should have time to do those sorts of things. And are you are you missing the point um, that the Holy Spirit is active and working in your life? Yeah. Those are some great questions for us to ask ourselves in our in our own personal context. Okay, well, so and I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I know we discussed this in the last lesson, but I want to bring it up again. A week ago. Uh, yeah, a, a week, you know, a week ago. We didn't record two episodes in a row. Uh, <laughs> so I, I know we brought this up in the last lesson, but I think what it comes down to, the reason we're not very good at discipling is because we have this mentality that um, the church is just an addition or this way of life is just an addition to the way we live. And that's not the case. Uh, I'll, I'll quote Lightheart again in a, in a different in a different way. <clears throat> uh, he says the church is strange. She is the creation of the Father through the Word and Spirit, the community of those who have been united by the Spirit with the Son and therefore brought into the eternal community of the Trinity. She is a city whose town square is in heaven. She is a city without walls or boundary lines, a polity without sword or shield. Of no other society can that be said, but she is ordinary. The church is made up of human beings with features that identify her as a culture among the cultures of the world. God did not enter a world of books with blurks. He did not intervene in a world of rituals and meals with spatules and gleals. He did not call his people to live according to specific formal principles or to promote a particular ufos. Rather, God created a world of stories. This is, this is the real good part here. God created a world of stories, symbols, rituals, and community rules. Into this world of stories, God introduced a rival story. Into a world of books, God came with his own library. In a world of symbols and rituals and sacrificial meals, the church was organized by a ritual bath and a feast of bread and wine in the midst of cultures with their own ethos and moral atmosphere. God gathered a community to produce the aroma of Christ in their life together. And it's that, and I think it's that vision of the church that we need to keep in front of us if we're going to properly make disciples. Because I think what we, but I, because I think what we've been doing is we've been making disciples of American Christianity, and not disciples of the Jesus Christ that we read in Scripture. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I want to go too much further except to say that uh, I mean we're, we're, we exist to bring in people when I remember at Margaret Hank we went when I first got there like eight months without even a visitor and we were in downtown Paducah and I thought there's 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 a disconnect here like just by accident somebody should just fall into the church once every eight months just be right. like what's this and so uh, that's when I knew, like, maybe we, we had a little inward focus. Like, if, if, if through none of our connections, somebody will even visit the church, like, then we're not witnessing, we're not evangelizing. There's some excuses. And then find out why and address the issue. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's what I got there. Yeah. I think you, you summed that up really well on the top of page 54 when you're talking about all the fears that we have for the yeah. Great Commission, whether it's offending people or that we don't know enough or we don't have the proper training, we won't be able to answer questions well. Um, I like how you say that these fears are all distractions um, because if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, even if you're fearful, um, you know, God will work through you to share that gospel, to share that gospel message. That's absolutely right. Beautiful.
about yep. uh, applying the scripture? Um, this is just doing it. Like, right, just understanding that evangelism isn't like this, argue, it's not an argument, right? Witnessing isn't an argument. You don't have to be right about something. That can't be your motivation. You simply, like, God has done great things. There's a new reality. There's a new way to live. And you, you offer that to other folks, right? Um, and then because I had to pull on heartstrings a little bit, I used this Hudson Taylor uh, illustration, right? Right, where a guy that, who had been converted asked him, how long did you know about this? And Hudson Taylor had to say, well, we've known about, you know, we over in England have known about this for thousands of years. And, you know, of course, the Chinese guy was like, well, my dad died because he was seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? Right. Like, yeah. and, and let me pull on some heartstrings more. Like you've all had friends that have lost their lives through addictions or through bad choices, bad relationships. And it should hurt you that they don't know the truth that it at least offer. Like, here's a different, better way to live, a true way to live. As mm-hmm. Right. So y'all can riff off that but man like i hate seeing people struggle hate it yeah man life is complicated and so that's what i say but it's not as complicated as we make it exactly (laughs) yeah we life is complicated and we could we could make it a little less complicated by identifying the source of, of actual truth in the world right so everyone, and I was, I was telling someone this yesterday, everyone suffers, right? Believer, non-believer, I don't care who you are, what your gender is, or what you identify as, everyone suffers. Right. But only for Christians, only for believers does suffering make sense. Like, if you're not a believer, your suffering doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. It's doing nothing for you. But if you're a believer, your suffering makes sense, and it's forming you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, kind of like we said, I don't know, was it the last, it was this lesson just earlier, not the one from a week ago, where the persecution made, you know, it was the bad suffering that brought about the message. So, yeah, like, yeah, you can see history differently. You can see sufferings differently when you're you're a believer. And I I think that's a great point, Chris, because A lot of times the people that evangelize the best are the people who have suffered the greatest and then come to known Christ. They're the ones because of the horrible situations, circumstances that they have found themselves in that are just so dedicated to sharing the gospel uh, with everyone that they meet because they know the suffering and because they know the better way. And sometimes when we don't face persecution, um, you know, we're not very good at sharing, sharing the gospel message. And I think, uh, I mean, even if you look at culturally and in different countries, where's the church growing the fastest? Persecuted places. And the persecuted places, the countries where these people have to go underground. Either persecuted or that don't have modern comforts. They don't have modern comforts. Okay. Okay. So like sub-Saharan Africa, it's growing pretty big there. It's not because they're persecuted. It's just that literally they don't have to argue about like climate change. Like there's no peripheral things that keep them from focusing on on spiritual things right so that's, that's a good point right there the color of the carpet yeah the like, color of the paint yeah. on the walls let's just stay alive one more day right okay. like, yeah you know, yeah i'm with you yeah. making be kind neighborhood signs yeah right yeah. right you, you just gotta you're you're living and so it's either the persecuted church or the ones or the the cultures that don't have distractions that's where christianity grows the fastest right? yeah and Which, so then here- is why Jesus says, sell all your possessions. Really, that's why he says it. Like, don't don't be comforted with the things of this earth because it will distract you. The, the more I see wrong with the world, the more I see the, the decisions that are being made in politics and all that, the more I really think the Amish have the right idea. I'm, I am sympathetic. <laughs> I am truly sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because like you can just you can just be less concerned about stupid things. Right. When you don't have a lot of things. Yeah. And you can't control it anyway. Yeah. How much easier would our life be if we didn't have a cell phone? Really, honestly. Honestly. Oh my goodness. It'd I be great. Times I'm ready to pitch this thing out the window. But you never will. No, I won't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay, I have I have a short story I have to tell you. When I was in 10th grade. When I was in 10th grade, the, uh, a writing assignment, we had, like, the teacher assigned this on Monday and said it was due Friday. So we had to write, like, a three-page paper on why we thought we should be allowed to, to have our cell phones in class. And I went to the teacher privately and said, what if I don't think that we should have our cell phones in class? And she said, all right, then you get to write a three-page paper on why you don't think students should be allowed to have their cell phones in class. And so I did. 27 pages later, Logan. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I wrote five pages. Okay. And, Not 27, five. And we had to present our papers in class. I was unpopular already. Yeah. That went down. <laughs> like, I didn't think, I didn't think that I could get any less popular than what I was, but I managed. <laughs> oh. Oh, that is fun. I would have agreed with you, Logan, though. I don't think you should have cell phones in class. Yeah, well, like I said, but so anyway, it's distractions. And maybe that's some of it with the evangelism. It's just we worry about so many things that are that we just unknowingly allow ourselves to get drifted away from the purposes that God has sent us in the world. Um, yeah. I think that's what I say is the applying part. I mean, we just have a we have a responsibility. And we got to make yeah. time for it, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I was trying to think of what you said in the beginning about, um, you said something about evangelizing, that the fruits of evangelizing are not our responsibility. And I think that is part of the problem with us evangelizing is, for whatever reason we have in our head that if we share the gospel message with people that we're responsible for them accepting Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's not the case. You we know, are we, responsible for not witnessing though. Right. Yes. If we're not with witnessing, if we're not sharing the gospel, that is our responsibility. But if we share the gospel, whether or not that person opens their heart to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's not our responsibility. Correct. See, this, this is why I'm a Calvinist. I believe in irresistible grace. Yeah. If, you, if you preach, God will send grace and it will have that effect. Right. I'm not responsible for it. God is. That's yeah. right. And I think that's, that's part of the problem that we have in our culture is that when we get turned down so many times that we just, we become gun shy. We're like, uh, yeah, I don't think I want to share it anymore because I'm afraid to have somebody tell me no again, and maybe it's me. And then we start questioning ourselves, you know, is it something I did? Is it the way I dressed? Is it the way I approached somebody? Is is it the words that I use, you know, and not, not understanding that it's, it's God, you know, and it's, and it's them opening their heart to hear God and to listen to him. Um, and not, not to what you were wearing that day. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe that's where we at least start just to remind people that your first job is simply to be a witness of that, which you've experienced. Right. I mean, that's like, you're just for, like, and if you're intentional about that, my guess is, is that evangelism follows. Like I said, it, it's happened to me just by accident, not, not on purpose. Like it's, it's it, so like, but you're, you're faithful in that small step of witnessing and then see what God does. And, and it stretches you maybe, and you become a type of person that becomes an evangelist. Well, Billy Graham's running around everywhere. I was, um, when I was first entertaining the idea of wearing a clerical collar, I I wanted reasons for it other than it's just what we do. And so I was and so I found this article by Alan Rudnick. He's a he's like he's kind of a progressive Baptist pastor, I think. But he wrote an article called Why I Wear a Clerical Collar. And he explained that on days where he goes out to the coffee shop and just sits there with his laptop and notebook and whatever, and he's wearing his collar 
he does so intentionally because it creates an opportunity for people to talk to him. Because if people see him wearing a collar, they know what he does. And it, and they can easily come to him and say, you know, I don't know who you are, but I know this is what you do. And this is what I need to talk about. Yeah. And, and that creates an opportunity for witnessing and evangelism. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was profound. Um, I think what you just said there is, is also true. If he never speaks a word, like the symbol is still powerful enough that God is there. Like somebody walks by and at least the symbol says, God's still here. God's present. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and I know that like, uh, I had never, I always don't have the best, um, we'll say speech. I worked in a restaurant a lot. We'll say that. And one of the restaurants that I worked at in St. Louis, I, I had certain vocabulary that you used. Um, and I had, okay. So from the time I was a baby till I moved to St. Louis, I'd never seen a priest honest to God in life. I've seen him in movies. I watched the exorcist, these kinds of things. So I was working at a subway, you know, trying to live and survive and get through seminary in St. Louis. And me and my buddy were talking in our normal vernacular. Right. And then two priests walked in and all of a sudden I was like, wait, what? And then I noticed my whole body changed. My whole thinking changed. I stopped talking that certain way while the priests were in there. Right. And I didn't mean to, I didn't make this conscious choice, but I just saw that these were priests. These were the presence of something else. And so mm-hmm. I found that it made me different for whatever reason. Right. Anyway, oh, oh, people will do that all the time to me. Like they'll, they'll, they'll slip up and say a cuss word and say, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Like, oh. I don't care. But how awesome is it that, that they respect you enough to recognize that, you know, that kind of language should not be. It's the symbol. Well, I don't know. It's just a symbol and it's the presence of God. It's a witness. What I'm trying to say is it's a witness in itself. And if you can tell how just that happens, well, think if you were actually witnessing as your whole personhood to a person about how good Jesus is. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I never really thought about it like that, but that's a good point. I really like that. That's an excellent, that's an excellent thought for us to have. So applying the scripture, I I really love how you end this section by saying, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? And I think that's a great thought for us um, as we go out witnessing and evangelizing. And as we're discussing this in our classes about witnessing and evangelizing. Um, There are a lot of people in our communities that need to hear Jesus, even if people that you don't think or that they go to another church. You know, a lot of times what I have found is people will tell you they go to another church, but are they actually going to another church? Or maybe they went there once last year. um, Or I love doing this. I love doing this to them whenever they ask, uh, well, I go to another church. Okay, what's the name of it? Right. Well, it's it's that one over there by the, by the road. Okay. All right. What denomination? I don't know. I don't know. Just, that's just where you don't go to. You don't go to church. <laughs> just just have the fortitude enough to tell me you don't go to church. It's right. cool, man. Right. But thinking about the fact that we have all these people in our communities, even you know, I think all three of us live here in the in the Bible Belt somewhere. Um, and we have all these people who, who say they go to church, but do they? And are we sharing? Are we evangelizing? Are we witnessing? And that's a great thing for us, I think, to discuss in our classes today, or if you're just watching this and doing this study on your own. Um, we have people that are dying all around us. And sure. are we sharing? Are we sharing the gospel message? Are we giving them an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Yeah, and I think that's important. I think I think that's important. You know, <clears throat> we live in a culture of death, and um, we live in a culture of death, and it's just all around us. And we have an opportunity to to bring life into the situation. Right, and I think that we're gonna. End it right there. 
Um, go, share, witness, and evangelize. And have a blessed week. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, give you peace and all that jazz. Amen. Okay, Logan, I think I'm going to leave and Chris can stop the recording because I can't stop it. Yeah, I can't stop the recording either. Okay. All right. Yep, we're done. Stop it. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. So, oh, okay. I hate to just leave because I'm afraid that'll mess something up. I know. I just texted him. He can cut the video off. Okay. Once he's done recording. Yeah, we're done, Chris. Stop the recording. You'll have to cut the end of the video off. Can he do that? Like, does he does he do like video editing?